0: Shall we pray? <clears throat> Lord, should your name be taken upon our lips so many times? Should your thought cross our minds so many times, O oh Lord? Should your holy, holy Son be the sacrifice for our salvation? O oh Lord, we, we truly this morning, with humility, with gratitude, with wonder, with amazement, With fear, with a bit of shock and surprise, we come to you to call you Abba Father. We just want to, this morning, acknowledge, Lord, that this day is not an isolated day in your history. This is a well-ordained, organized plan and part of your eternal purpose. And it amazes us this morning to know that as a church only we can understand this truth while the rest of the world is perishing. Oh Lord, this morning I pray that you will guard us from familiarity. We come to your word week after week, day after day, guard us from familiarity. We pray this morning that you will guard us, O oh Lord, from the revealed knowledge of your character that is already there within us that may suppress us from receiving your word. Guard us from it. And I pray, O oh Lord, this morning that you will please, please touch us, O oh Lord, with that coal once again. I pray that your burning holiness will really, O oh Master, be etched upon our consciences once again. that we will turn to you and we will cry out like the angels above. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Speak to us now. Speak to us now. From the oldest of the believers to the one who is never born again, speak. And I pray that you shall do that. That will bring glory to your name. And Holy Spirit, we ask you that you will, O Master, work in us this morning. Let the word come and let the word reveal Christ to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Bible contains 1,198 chapters. Out of which only four chapters talk about a sinless world. The world that was created in Genesis 1 and 2. And the world that God promised that he will create in the last two chapters. But the grand theme of this entire saga is one thing. And that is God. The overarching, the supreme, the all-encompassing emphasis. Of the entire Bible and every single thing recorded, every event recorded in the Bible is God. That is the emphasis of the Bible. Now it is impossible, think with me, it is impossible to define any reality at any level. Macro or micro. It is impossible to define any reality without God. Let me just put a few before you. What is creation? The handiwork of God. Who is man? The masterpiece of God created to receive and reflect God's glory. What is history? It is basically the sovereign plan of God acting out in time, space and reality. What is marriage? For those of you who expect much than this, more than this, marriage is nothing but the parable of God's love for the church. What is pleasure? A foretaste of the reality of God. What is evil? It is the denial and the rejection of this overwhelming reality of God. Who is Satan? A creature who denied to live in the order of God as placed, yet accomplishes the purpose of God. What is sin? The essence of sin, Romans one twenty three, Exchange the glory of God for anything. The effect of sin, Romans 3.23. Falling short of the glory of God. Now, as you see, it is impossible to define any reality... At any level, without God. What is salvation then? It's just a display of God's character on this side of eternity. What is heaven then? Heaven is a place prepared by God for those who will enjoy God forever. What is hell? It is the opposite of heaven. It is a place prepared by God, prepared by God for the devil and those who reject this eternal offer of enjoying God. What is worship? The unsuppressible joy born out of the enjoyment of God. Now what is this all about? It's just about God. Now listen to the words of Lewis. C.S. Lewis. You can probably ignore God's presence, but you can never evade God's presence. The world is crowded with him, incognito. You can never, never. And the joy of all of this is contained in the heart of the church. That is the glorious thing about this person, God. Now we know, the Bible says, that this joy is exclusively given to man. Listen to this, okay? This glorious privilege of knowing God intimately is only given exclusively to man. Now millions of creatures fill God's universe. Millions, right? Animate, inanimate, living, -living, non-living, mammoth-sized planets, mighty angels to microscopic beings. Millions of creatures fill God's universe. But in all of this, it is man who has been given that highest, glorious, infinite privilege of knowing him intimately. Why would I say that? Because no creature, every creature acknowledges God as its creator, or his or her creator, or its creator. But no creature can boldly call him father. No creature can boldly call him the husband. No creature can boldly call him the kinsman redeemer. Can angels say that? No. No creature can call him friend. Probably the most astonishing of all, the most joy-provoking of all these things is that no creature can say, God partook in my nature. The glorious privilege is given to man. Now listen to this carefully. However, even among all human beings, this glorious privilege is not attained by all. It's not a chance that you're sitting here this morning. There are many perishing, but it is to you and to me, to those to whom the salvation offer has been given, to them this glorious privilege has been given. Now, I began by saying that the entire content of the Bible is God. In fact, the very first four words in the Bible in the beginning are an invitation to explore the everlasting greatness of God through creation, through history, through humanity, through evil, through everything to explore the greatness, the infinite worth of God. However, this great privilege is given to man and even among human beings, this is given to those who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb of God. And it is you and me. But thinking about salvation, once a person is born, he is in this process put by God, in this eternal pursuit of exploring God, salvation is just the tip of the iceberg. It is not everything. What is salvation? Theologically speaking, being saved from the wrath of God, the punishment of sin. Being saved every day from the power of sin. And the powers of darkness. And one day ultimately, 1 John chapter 3 verse 2, we do not know how it will be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. We will one day be finally saved from the presence of sin. So which means salvation is basically a progression. Progression towards something that is eternal. And what is our eternal path? What is our eternal inheritance? The answer, again, is God. And in the scripture... God has given us a sneak peek into what our eternal joy will be forever and ever. This word is used often by believers and preachers so it might sound a little redundant to us. But forever and ever, this shall be our occupation and preoccupation. God. So this morning, I want us to study, or rather look at You can't call subject, but the person, God. You know, in my 12 years, I preached in many places. Never have I been so tensed. Not because of anything. But this is too, too, too sacred. For not just for me, but for all of humanity put together. All of universe, all creatures put together. To utter the name of this person. To behold and to wonder and to think of the thoughts of this person, God. But the joy is that this privilege is exclusively given to the church. So this evening, I want us to turn our Bibles. Usually we put it on our screen. We have a foretaste given in the scripture as to how our eternal preoccupation will be. I don't know if our pastor is a prophet or seer, how he got into my notes. Halfway through, I was hoping that he'll just sit down because I, I didn't want him to preach the whole sermon. Let's go to Revelation chapter 4. You know, Revelation chapter 4. Pastor was quoting Leonard Ravenel. Leonard Ravenel is one of the amazing preachers God used in the Esther years. Leonard Ravenel said, Revelation is a book of misery, mystery and majesty. And it is so true. It is misery. It is a book of misery for those who reject the truth that God presents in the scripture. It is a book of mystery for those probably who are born again, but never wonder to open that book. And it is a book of majesty. For those who revel in the sneak peek that God gives into this eternal future of ours. What an interesting book this is. It is the last book of the Bible. However, look at the interesting fact. It is revealed in the past about the eternal future for the present. It basically jams every point of time. So it definitely beckons our attention this morning. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 4. pastor was mentioning. Revelation chapter 1 and 2. Ta- Revelation chapter 1 talks about. The exalted reigning ruling Christ. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Talks about the 7 letters. Exclusively given to the church. The 7 churches in particular. And the universal church in common. Revelation chapter 4. Takes a hit. It basically moves us to a realm. That human beings have never been to. You know I, I, There are parts of scripture where people have been given the vision of God. Isaiah, Jacob, Apostle Paul. But this is an invitation by God for all the church. Revelation chapter 4 moves from earth to heaven. And we need to know the background of Revelation. It was given in a time where the church was basically under the mighty iron claws of Roman Empire. Seemingly the Roman Empire looked like It's indomitable. It it can never be destroyed. And the church looked like a little flock, literally. And the apostle who was beloved by God, John himself was banished to an idol, Patmos. And it is there that God reveals this thing for the church. How different our thoughts are from God's thoughts, right? It is during the time of great persecution and deception within the church, God calls John and says, Check me out. You are called for something beyond what you see. And Revelation chapter 4 moves the scene from what is happening on planet earth. In the mind of God, in human history, a few more thousands of years have to come until now. Many empires will rise and come, rise and fall. Civilization itself will develop. But before that, God wants us, as the church, to look into the future, to know what our eternal future is going to look like. And Revelation chapter 4 moves to the heavenly scene. It's so very tempting to literally study the entire chapter, but for uh, the space of re- restriction of time, we're just going to go through the chapter. And what I will do is I will make preliminary comments here and there, but our focus will be from Roman Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 to 11. Let's just read this chapter. By the way, this chapter is all about the throne. And why is it important for us to recognize that? Because God wants us them in that age and us in this age to move our focus from the thrones that we see to the only unchanging, everlasting, established seats, throne and the one who is seated on the throne. And that's why God, the Spirit of God, it's all if you go through Revelation chapter 4, it feels like the camera work of the Spirit of God. It's so beautifully done. It's so beautiful. It's everything to do with the throne. Verses 1 to 2, verses 1 is a call to the throne. Verse 2 is the transportation to the throne. Verse 3 is the one on the throne. Verse 4, 5 are things about around the throne. Verse 5 talks about from the throne. Verse 6, to, everything is to do with the throne. And the one seated on the throne. It's almost like God is beckoning your attention and see. This is what you want to see. You should see. Look at this. You know, after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying... Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. This is basically the call to the throne. Look at verse 2. Immediately, I was in the spirit. By the way, as we begin uh, to study this, there are many schools of interpretation about the major doctrines. I will not interpret. I will let the leadership take the decision on it. But some of the things that are absolutely essential, we will all together study. Okay? Okay? Look at this, there are many interpretations to the spirit, but I personally believe it is the spirit of God who is transporting uh, John to see everything here. M- one, many times when you read Revelation, you wonder where the spirit of God is. Because you see the father, you see the son, the lamb. Where is the spirit of God? It was like a knock on my head once. God said, listen, it is me who is making you possible to see everything. He is the one who gives us the vision to see everything. So the spirit of God transported John And he saw a throne set in heaven. Now the word set is immovable. It's standing there. It is not set up for some time. It is not like the presidents and prime ministers who change, you know, now and then or die. This is set in heaven. And the one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a Sadius stone in appearance. We can do a lot of fancy Bible studies on it. Let me just quickly tell you, it is basically the covenant heart of God. Because both the colors are representative of the breastplate of the high priest. And both of them talk about how Jesus one day will come as the divine, as the son of man also. And then it says there was a rainbow, basically which is a covenant of God around the throne in appearance like emerald. Uh, Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. There is again debate about who these elders are. Are they angels? I personally believe no they are not angels. They are elders. If we believe the doctrine of rapture. That rapture takes place before we go through the tribulation. And possibly these are the 24 elders. Probably both from Jewish and Gentile background. Who have been bought by the blood. Who survived and who have been rewarded. If we take that interpretation. If we do not take also. Still there are 24 elders who are human beings. Who are there. And if you look at their, look at what is on them, the golden crowns, the white garments, all talks about Revelation chapter 2 and 3, how Jesus himself promised that for those who patiently perseverant perseverantly conquer or or go through tribulation go through suffering will be rewarded so you see 24 elders there and then uh, i saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads and from the throne proceeded lightnings thunderings and voices seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of god god did we miss verse five no probably it came here yeah verse six Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal and that's, uh, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of ice in front and in back. Again there's speculation and debate about what those four living creatures are but we can safely conclude that these four living creatures are possibly the most magnificent angels or heavenly creatures revealed to us in the scriptures why because some say they are seraphims some say they are cherubims there are minor similarities and major major exceptions so probably they may be they may not be but one thing we can know is this in the revealed scripture in the revealed scripture in the angelic order there is no match to these four living creatures and we are going to study from verse 8 down through 11 look at verse 8 Verse 7, the first creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. References have been made to those four things probably pointing to the four Gospels as to how Jesus was presented, but I I do not want to take that interpretation, but look at verse 8. Can we read verse 8, please? The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, Holy holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We'll go to the next verse. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, can we read the 11th verse together please? You are worthy O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. We are for the next minute. Whatever time that is left. We are going to study and understand. What our eternal preoccupation will be. And as we begin to study. I believe the spirit of God is. Like pastor said preparing each one of us. Here and everywhere in his universal church. To become a part of this redeemed community. Which is marked by worship. Which is marked by worship. So we are going to study taking from verse 8 onwards. What are these living creatures saying? Three things. Three things the living creatures say. First one, they talk about the purity of God. Second, they talk about the sovereignty of God. Third, they talk about the eternality of God. Why these three things? Now listen to this. These three things are the attributes of God that are constantly beheld by these four living creatures. These highly intellectual, amazing creatures that surround the throne of God are constantly, to whatever extent God has allowed them to see his glory, they are able to behold. And this is going on probably forever. As they behold the perpetual beauty and wonder of God. This is what they cry out. Saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Now why did the spirit of God put these three things down for us? Are the other attributes of God not so important? I believe this is like the entrance screen. That opens our way into heaven. It is the entrance point for every person. Both the heavenly creatures and us who are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. This is the entrance point. We cannot enter the presence of God without being hit by his holiness. Without being overpowered by the sovereignty of God. Without being boggled in our minds. This is a head railing thing. That God is eternal. And this is the invitation point. We haven't even plummeted to the depths of the person of God. This is the entry point. The purity of God, the sovereignty of God, and the eternality of God. Pardon me if you're not used to those words. These are theological terms, but they emanate from the person of God. I like what John Piper says. Teach the church not to think in small categories. Teach them. Throw them into this ocean of thinking in categories that are beyond their ability to understand. Because we deal with God. We deal with God. Sooner or later, you must, you must, your mind must expand. It must tear itself out. For we can never contain this God. And let me just add this, you know, Andrew Murray, I think, used to say there are two kinds of people, two kinds of Christians. You take a bottle to the ocean, fill the bottle up with the water in the ocean and put it on the beach. They are the kind of people who are saved and you say, God is in me, I'm happy. The second kind, you take the bottle, throw them into the depth of the ocean. They are not the people who are saved. They are saved, but they don't say, God is in me. They say, I am plummeting the depths of God. And every believer is called to that. So let us explore who this God is, who this person is. Even I believe as the spirit of God is working, he will permeate this presence and permeate each cell of our life. Let's look at this, the purity of God, holiness. What do we understand by God's holiness? I think we understand very little about God's holiness. Why would I say that? Because if we understand God's holiness, the way we look at sin will take a radical, radical, you know, change. You know, the Bible says, all those who, all you saints who love God, hate evil. Do you understand that? There is a verse in the Bible where both love and hatred coexist. Love what is good and hate evil. What is the purity of God? The holiness of God? There are several things. I just picked a few from the scripture. Let me just place them before you. You know in 1st Samuel chapter 2 verse 2. You don't have to turn there. Hannah is praying and she says. There is no one holy like the. What is the meaning of that? One of the primary understandings about the holiness of God is this. That God is set apart. Basically the word means cut apart. Set apart. What is the meaning of set apart? Which means there is nobody like him. Now let me tell you this. From Lucifer to the newborn-again believer, everybody has same similar features. I'm not comparing the devil with the children of God. All I'm saying is this. Angels have similarities. Human beings have similarities. If an alien were to come, supposing an alien were to come, and suddenly land on a planet, and say, what do human beings look like? What are some of the common descriptions we'll give? We have the head on the top, fixed with a pair of eyes, Nose, mouth, these are the similarities. When the Bible says God is holy, there is no match to Him. Did you get it? My friends, this truth is not supposed to just be heard. This must be chewed, eaten. And the more you chew, the more fear will, you know, climb up your spine. That is why these creatures, both with joy, And in holy fear, with trembling in the presence of God, cry out, holy, you are set apart. There is no one like you. You are absolutely unique. We cannot find any person with any similarities, external or internal, like you. Set apart. That's what holiness is. What else is holiness? Holiness is the signature of God. Listen to this. God's character may be probably in one word, be summarized in that one word, holy. Because there is no other attribute in the Bible that is raised to the third degree. Now, just like every uh, every culture has its own way of expressing things, communicating things, Hebrews also had a technical, literary technique. When you want to highlight something, what do you do? When you are writing, underline, exclamatory, bold, color it, put some hearts, right? You know how the Hebrews would do? Twice. That's why a lot of times you say, Samuel, Samuel. Why? Yeah. Abraham, Abraham, why? There's only one thing in the Bible that is raised to the third degree. Holy, holy, holy. It is that attribute of God that permeates all his character. And that's why Stephen Charnock is one of the old Puritans. Said, God in the word is more often styled as holy than almighty. He's called the holy one, not the mighty one or the wise one relatively is called more the holy one and that is why we are not called to become mighty like God wise like God but holy like God what a God he is that he calls us to partake in this nature and he the angels here call out saying holy 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 that's why his love is holy his justice is holy. His righteousness is holy. His anger is holy. His patience is holy. It is one thing that, it, that somebody said. It's the attribute of attributes. This is the godness of God. This is who God is. This is the signature, the scent of who God is. So, what is holiness? Why are they crying out, holy, holy, holy? How long can you sing a song, man? How long? And this is not borrowed. This is derived. This is experience. They were. They are hit. By the holiness of God. They see and say, there's no one like you. And I'm not able to contain you. Who are you? Holy, holy, holy. And the mind-boggling thing is, everything about you is holy. There's no creature in the universe which can have any one attribute in all its attributes. In our love, there's no holiness. There's deficit. In our holiness, there's no love. You understand what I'm trying to say? But here is one person Whose entire essence, name, nature is holy. The third thing, it's not just set-apartness, it's not just his signature, it's his splendor. Can we turn to one verse, Psalm 96, 9, or let me just read it for you. Worship the Lord in the beauty. Let me just read the words of Stephen Sharnak. Power is God's hand, omniscience is his eye, mercy his bowels, eternity his duration, but holiness his beauty. Do you want to, all of us have some beauty spots in us, right? You want to know the beauty spot of God? Holiness. 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 What a holy God is. It is a signature, set-apartness. It is a splendor. That is why, listen, to the perishing, the holiness of God is Wrath. But to those who are saved, the holiness of God is the eternal ocean from which they will drink forever and ever. What is the holiness of God? It is his perfection. I mentioned three things so far. It is his set-apartness. It is his signature. It is his splendor. Fourthly, it is his beauty. And fifth one, it is his perfection. Let me read this verse to you. Psalm 90 to 14 and 15. 15th verse. To declare that the Lord is upright, it is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Can you say that with me? There is no? Listen, God cannot do evil. That's why Joel said, Do you slay me? Why? Because in my killing, probably you will give me yourself. Listen to this. A guy once came to me and said, He, Satanist, okay? He said, Anna, I got into this. Son of a uh, elder in the church. He came to one of our camps long ago. He said, Anna, I got into this thing. But the reason I got into it is because there was a lot of mess in the family. And then he said, "I went into this kind of thing, knowing that it's not good, but the devil told me, "I'm not good, but I can still make you happy." You know what? The devil can promise happiness, but never intends happiness. Only God, inten- in his intentions, there is no unrighteousness. That is why, if he sends me to hell, he is holy. Not when he saves me alone. He's holy. Why would otherwise Moses and Paul use those extreme statements and say, blot out our name from the book of life? He's holy, boss. We have a holy God who will never, never, never misjudge. No unrighteousness. No unrighteousness. That is why when the bowls of wrath are being poured in the book of Revelation down, people are cursing God. Opera, they are worshipping God. Worship? Worship night? When destruction comes on earth, yeah. Why? Righteous are your judgments, O God. That is why these creatures give us the entrance into heaven as the Spirit of God reveals to us. And they begin to cry out God's holiness because it is set-apartness, it is his splendor, his beauty, his perfection and his signature. But they move on to saying, Holy, 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 is, now some versions don't render that but is the Lord God Almighty which means to say, listen to this very carefully which means to say, it is present continuous, all that is mentioned about God is always being there and in this holiness is his sovereignty revealed sovereignty three words are used, Lord God Almighty, why three words? because three words express the overwhelming weight of who God is The word Lord, the Hebrew word for it is Yahweh, which is the word from which we get the word I am. What is Yahweh? Remember Moses says, when I go there, they'll ask me for your name. Give me your name. What does God say? What is I am? See, people who are born in time and die in time need an identity card, which means they need a name. But the one who is from everlasting to everlasting doesn't need a name. I am means self-existent Self-sufficient, self-satisfied. I am. Nothing else, that's all. I am. That's why there's only one person who can sing that song, It's My Life, God. <laughs> I am. Now let me say this. This is a head-reeling thing. Scientists can't grapple with this. They have to come up with some sort of Big Bang. They can't. This is beyond, beyond human understanding. He, from the heavens, with his angels cries out, or the angels cry out saying, I am, is here. Self-sufficient, self-existent. So, God is telling Moses, hey, you're talking about me? I am. I am my own address. I am the reason for my existence. I am. That's it. That's the Lord. God is the owner of everything. Owner of everything. Almighty. There is no power that can match with him. Now just to help us understand the weightiness of God's power, I want to take you to two references. Okay, Please go with me to Psalm 121. If it's not there on the screen, I didn't give it to Sam. Could you please turn to Psalm 121 verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither can we say that please? Nor? Now take those two words. What is slumbering? That's Right? Right? You you want to sleep but you are unable to. Because the baby is awake probably. Right? Slumber. And sleep. What is the meaning of this? Now one of the... By the way 121 is one of the psalms that they sing while they go back to Jerusalem. Right? The song of the essence. What are they saying? They are looking at all the hills set up by Satan and all the religions of the world. They say where does our help come from him? And as they continue to meditate, the psalmist says, because the one who takes care of us neither sleeps nor slumbers. Why is he saying that? Listen to this. When do you sleep? When you're tired. When are you tired? When your energy is spent. What God is trying to tell us is this. In him, energy is never spent. And therefore there's no tiredness. And hence he doesn't sleep. Every power is created by God. Beginning with Lucifer to the microscopic beings, right? And every power is one day accountable to God. God is accountable to none. He neither spends energy nor gets tired. And that's why, and that's why, cringing before Him, they cry out, Lord God Almighty. Can you turn to another verse? Isaiah 40, 17. Look, 40, 40 17. Look at this. This is too much to understand. Isaiah 40, 17. Let me read this. Remember Isaiah 40 is this glorious Revelation given to this political analyst, Isaiah. This glorious revelation. And see what the Bible is saying. All nations before him are as? My friends, pause there. Picture nothing. Impossible. Because when you are trying to picture nothing, you are using something to picture and something else is coming in your mind. You are at least picturing darkness. But still that is there. What is God saying? All the nations are like nothing. And that is not enough for us to chew upon. God says they are counted by him as? I'm not able to handle the word nothing. Less than nothing. What should I do? I hold my head and cry out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What prayer requests are you lifting up before God? What are you cringing before God about? What are you making a fuss about? Everything is not just nothing, less than nothing. Ah, this sovereignty, this sovereignty. Throws us into this ocean of turmoil to just have a time of praise and worship. This is the God. And then these creatures move on to talk about the third aspect of God, the eternality. The, the holy, the purity of God, the sovereignty of God, and the third thing, the eternality. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Uh, I recommend if you have the time to read this book by A.W. Pink called The Attributes of God. He begins the book by this chapter called The Solitariness of God. He says, God would have not gained any glory even if he did not create anything. He forever has been as glorious as he is today or as he will be forever in eternity as the church in the heavenly court praises him. Forever he is glorious. Forever he has been alone in the company of the blessed family of God. Why? Because the father delights in the beauty that is reflected of his own nature in the son as the spirit of God does this in in the words of Lewis, does the spirit of God brings about this divine choreography as he brings this union. Forever, forever, by the way, if, if my words are bouncing over your head, don't worry. I myself am not able to talk properly. This is too huge for us to understand. Solitariness of God forever and ever has been there. When I was growing up, one of, my, one of the most difficult questions for me to understand was the beginning of God. <laughs> the beginning of God. R.C. Sproul did a talk on it called The ACT of God. All of us are becoming. God is being. We are misnamed as human beings. He is the only being. There is no potentiality in him. He is actual. He is always like that. We have potentiality. That is why we constantly become. And one of the famous uh, statements of these old Greek poets was this. Nobody. Change is the only constant. Right? Nobody can step into the same river twice. Because the, by, by the time you take your step and plunge it into the n- river again... It's already changed. There's only one uncontested constant eternal contemporary that is God. Forever. Forever. And, the, and look at the sequence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. All that is mentioned here is progressing towards the eternality of God. Forever he has been like this whether he created anything or not. Forever he has been like this whether he saved anyone or not. Forever he has always been like this whether he did anything or not. that's why these angels, these creatures give us the entry point into heaven as they cry out saying, you are holy, you are almighty and you with all this have eternally been like this. Are you with me? Hello? Let's go to the ninth verse now. Let's look at the ninth verse. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne. By the way... uh, I, I don't want to get into the calendar of revelation because there are different schools of interpretation. Pastor may have one, I may have one. But like one of the persons used to say, when you get to revelation, throw your calendars outside the window. Fall down and worship. Because whether you believe in pre tribulation or post, everybody ends up at the throne of God. And the focus is God. Okay? So I, I'm not getting there. But I want us to understand what our eternal preoccupation will be. Look at verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne. Wait a minute. What are they doing? And what are they doing? Giving. Now, Now, if you take the word literally, does that mean that they are giving God something? No. Once in the scripture, every time this word give, especially towards God is attributed, it is always a response to what they have received. Worship never begins with us worship never begins with our music worship worship is not about man it's about God it begins with God it ends in God in fact worship is God's gift to us it is not our gift back to him it is our joy to know him and the more you know him the response becomes bigger and bigger and these creatures have been beholding the holiness the eternality the sovereignty of God and as they are hit they are saying yes it is you needs this. Let me just use an illustration here for better understanding. This is the illustration of C.S. flows. You know, if you are suddenly visited by a scenery that is out of the world, suddenly if you are going on the, on the road and suddenly you are hit by the scenery that is out of the world, what will be your natural expression? Wow. Now, you don't say wow to feel wow. You are feeling wow and therefore you say wow. Now, whether you say wow or not, your feeling is already there. Now, why do we say wow then? Your wow completes your inside expression of joy. What is worship and praise? It is the completion of the ecstasy of our joy of God. Did you get it? It completes. I don't worship God because he needs, because I need. That's why the Bible says he is not looking for worship, but for Worshippers, John four twenty three, a famous we sang this morning. A God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in. For such are the ones the Father is seeking. He will teach us to worship, and He is looking. And these twenty four and these living creatures, whenever they give glory and honor and and thanks to Him, what happens to the to Him who lives on forever and ever? What is happening? The twenty four elders. What are they doing? Can we read that part, please? The 24, okay, yeah, is it next verse? Yeah. Tenth verse. What are they doing? Tenth verse. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, look at that word. What are they doing? My friends, listen, there's no worship without falling down. Okay? It's not the fall down that happens when the preacher touches you. No. It's the falling down that happens when the holy, almighty, eternal person of God hits you. You're flat. Listen. There's a throne set in everybody's heart. It is it is impossible to extract it out of our existence. There is a throne set in our hearts. And there must be only one person seated on the throne. That's why every idol will be cast down one day. But joy belongs to those who have already cast down and enthroned him. They are seated on the thrones. And if we take the interpretation that they are elders who have come through tribulation or before rapture, whatever the interpretation is, they are there because of their faithfulness. See, salvation is free gift of grace. Uh, crowns have to be earned. Right? They have earned it. Well, why are these people falling down, taking their crowns, dethroning themselves, casting their crowns? Because they know behind all this is this everlasting grace of God that has pulled them from hell, pushed them into heaven to surround the throne of God. And they attribute faithfulness to God, not us. That's why Jude 1 says, to him who is able to preserve you. I can't preserve myself. He has to preserve. And these are preserved. 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 And they fall prostrate before God. So no worship before falling down. No worship before taking away your crown. No worship before prostrating yourself. This is what true worship is. Otherwise it is going to be lip service. And why are they doing it? Is it a duty? No, it is their highest delight. I think in heaven everybody probably every time they are hit by God's wonder, they will fall down. Probably it will be one of the occupations in heaven. You fall down. Why? Enjoy. Enjoy you fall down and these people fall down before him sits on the throne and worship him now this is the first time the word worship appears in the book of revelation but so much has preceded that which we do so glibly a lot of times is preceded by so much that happened it begins with god it it it, it, it must take you into a deeper understanding of god until you are you are not able to take any more and just fall down and say worship 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 him who lives forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne. Now we are getting into the heart of the subject. So far we looked at the entrance point to heaven. Now we are going to see. What will happen with us. And with the rest of the redeemed community forever and ever. Although the succeeding chapters in the book of Revelation. Talk about the coming judgment. And the last two chapters talk about the eternal future. Of the redeemed community. Here we are given a foretaste. Of what we will be doing forever and ever. And let's now go to the 11th verse. Can we read 11th verse once again, please? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. I want to share with you three, three truths that so clearly emanate from verse 11. Three things about God. The worth of God. The work of God. And lastly, the will of God. These are the three things that encapsulate worship. These are the three things that will probably enshroud the redeemed community for the rest of eternity. Three things. The worth of God, the work of God, and the will of God. It is in this everlasting infinite ocean that all believers will be thrown into as they plummet the depths, as they understand, as they drink of the infinite riches, Of the worth of God. As they understand the work of God. And dig deep to know the will of God. Three things we will spend the rest of our time in. The worth of God. You are saying you are worthy. Now wait a minute. What is the meaning of the word worthy? Worthy means fitting. It is good to apply this to you. It is right. It is just. In fact it is evil not to call you worthy. That's the meaning there. Worthy. There is no one else who can be called worthy and you are because it is right, it is fitting, it is good, it is just. If I don't say worthy, it is evil. No wonder many times in the book, in the word of God, the holy apostles have cursed themselves if they have not done what God wanted them to do. Cursed am I if I don't preach the gospel? Why? There is only one person who is worthy. There is only one work that is worthy, his work. There is only one thing that is worthy, him. And that's why it begins there, worth. It is fitting, it is good, it is right, it is just and if I don't give if I don't attribute this to you, it is evil worthy but wait a minute before we get into these three things, why is God worthy let me put before you four things quickly Okay, just listen to these words, number one it is intrinsical worth, that means the worth of God is in himself number two, it is individual worth he alone has this worth, now are there powers in this world oh yes Does Satan have power? Yes. Does uh, Do uh, these gigantic uh, galaxies that are out there are powerful? Oh, yes. But listen to this. All powers have been created. Here is the only power who is the reason for his power. So his worth is intrinsic. It is individual. No other person. That is why no other person can even retain or sustain worship. Even if you go to any idol or Satan and worship he or it cannot retain or sustain because that person doesn't have in, in himself or itself the worth. It is intrinsic. It is individual. This is important. It is independent. It is basically uninfluenced. Nobody gives God the worth. And so W Pink was right. Forever if he did not create anything, he would still be as gloriously worthy as he is. What a joy it is man. For the church. To contain this entire worth in our hearts. What a joy. Therefore it is inspiringly worthy. Intrinsic. Independent. Individual. Therefore it is inspiring. Now no other creature can do this. Satan can't do. Idols can't do. Pleasures can't do. Because the more you go there. The more unhappy you are. Why? There's no intrinsic, independent, individual inspiring worth. Only God has. That's why only God can talk great things about him and never be proud. Why? Because that's the truth. You can't say you're beautiful. No. That's why the Bible says beauty is yeah, some of you know that, right? Why? Because it's not yours. If it is yours, you can sing, it's my beauty. It is not yours. If it's your wisdom, you can say, it's my wisdom. If it's my understanding, I can say, it's my revelation. Nothing is ours. Beginning with Satan to the youngest believer, nothing is ours. Everything is his. It is intrinsic, individual, independent, therefore it is inspiring worth. But let's ask this question, what is the worth of God? What is this that all creation forever and ever will prostrate before him and say, worthy. What is that worth? What is the worth? Now uh, please bear with me. I will take you through a string of verses. It will all come up at the end. Okay. Thankfully in this church you are exposed to lots of verses. Okay. So please bear with me. We will go through a string of verses just to unlock and answer that question. What is the worth of God? Okay. Go to Exodus chapter 33 verse 18. Exodus chapter 33 verse 18. what moses said there's one person who asked god for this exclusive privilege lord please show me your now what does god say and he said i will make all now oh, wait a minute did god didn't get the question properly god i'm asking you to show me your glory if i was there i would have expected to seen some brilliant light a blast of light or a display of god's wisdom or a display of god's creative power mm-hmm God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And then He says, I will proclaim before you my. So we can firmly conclude that God's name is God's worth. In other words, who God is, is His worth. Are we with, are we together so far? Who God is, is His worth. Now, none of us have this exclusive privilege. Every other creature has to say, I have power. But God says, I am the power. I am holy. I am love. And therefore God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, and be gracious to you. But my a point of meditation is not this. Let's go to the next verse. God says something, but he said, you cannot. Please give me your undivided attention, okay, from here. You cannot see my faith. Wait a minute. Just before that he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Which means I will give you a blast of my revelation. The entire worth of who I am will be presented before you, Moses. But then wait a minute, you can't see my face. Cheating. How am I going to then? You, you say, I prayed for glory. You said I will put it all before you. And suddenly you say, you can't see my face. Why can't I see your face? God gives the answer, no man can see and live. And therefore God says, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my... But my face shall not be... Wait a minute, God. I want to see you. Glory, your worth. You said, I will. And suddenly you say, I will hide you. I'll let you see my back. And you are saying, the answer is, I will die if I see. Go to Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 and 8. This is what happened the next day. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, low to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the children's, and children's children to the third and fourth generation? Read verse 8, please. Did Moses get it wrong? God. Moses prayed for God's glory. God said my worth will be presented to you. But you shall not see my face. I will hide you. And God did the same thing next day. With one hand he hid himself. With one person he revealed. Or in one dimension he revealed himself. As he passed by. As he proclaimed his name. And Moses worships. Which means prayer granted. Moses has seen the glory of God. But there are empty number of verses in the Bible. Which says nobody has ever seen God. How do we reconcile these two? What is the summary of these two verses? Gospel. This is the summary of gospel. A scientist wants to believe in God who doesn't believe in God. An atheist wants to believe in God. If God tells him how he created the universe, God says, you fool! That can't save you. You must be saved from a bigger problem. Not discovering how this universe was born. Knowing how to be, how to escape from my holy wrath. And Moses was granted that. The threat for this universe is not global warming. What global warming? Global diffusion will happen. God will burn away this entire universe. Isn't that what he says? In fact, in Second Peter, there's a very unique word. He is storing up this entire thing. What global warming are we talking about? Global diffusion will happen one day. But the greatest thing is this. Gospel. Gospel is the point where the worth of God is displayed. I will explain slowly, but just follow me as, as I take you through this string of verses. Number one, Moses was hidden. He saw the glory of God. Also, he did not see some part of the glory of God. He saw the mercy, the goodness, the faithfulness of God, but he did not see the wrath of God. He did not see. God had to hide him. If, because if God had to reveal both, Moses wouldn't have been there. Let's go to the next one, please. One, jo- one. Why? So the question then is: Question then is, why can't a man see God's face? There are three answers given there because he is immortal. Now wait a minute. What is immortality? How is that got to do with not seeing God's face? What is the answer that I am presenting from the scripture? When the Bible says God is immortal, He forever is all that He is. Okay, He's not just living. He's forever all that He is. Are you with me so far? Some of you are seeing through me. Are you with me? Yeah, immortal. And what is death by the mean, by the way? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 to 18. Don't turn there. Being alienated from the life of God. Death is not my soul leaving my body. Death is my essence, my existence leaving God. And when Adam sinned, all of us have lost our connection with God. We have been alienated from the life of God. He is immortal. Number two, unapproachable light. What is this unapproachable light? You can absolutely know that this is part of God's absolute holiness, moral purity. And then whom no one has ever seen. Wait a minute. What is the connection between these two things? Why does the Bible say he is immortal he lives in an unapproachable light and then connects it with this thing whom no one has ever seen. Nobody can ever see the full blast of God's revelation because he is absolutely morally Holy. Go to the next verse. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. This is what John is saying. God is. And in him, no darkness. So what is the unapproachable light? His holiness. And in him, there is no evil at all. Now let's go to the next verse. Habakkuk 1.13. Can we read this together please? You who are of purer eyes than to see evil. Wait a minute. Does that mean God does not have the ability to look at sin? No. He is Too holy to look at sin because if he looks at sin and a sinner there shall be an eternal blast of his holy wrath pouring out and there is no one who can contain it. And therefore Moses was hidden. Yes he saw but he also did not see. In what he saw he can worship forever. In what he did not see he can thank him forever and ever. Got it? Look at this. Next, let's, let, let's go to the next one. Psalm 711. Oh, Pastor Vijay was mentioning this last week. God is a righteousness and a God who? Immortal. Forever he is the same always. Living in the eternal now. And? Every day he feels indignation. If he doesn't feel indignation every day, ever since at least creation has begun, then something is not right. He is not who was and is and is to come. Who was and is and is to come applies because he has holy indignation every day. If he has holy indignation every day, why are fewer people dying both in the church and outside the church? Something something happened. Look at this: John 1:17 to 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through. Ah, let's read this now. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has. Now, by the way, the Greek word there is exegesis. That's where, where from the word we get exegesis, expository preaching, study, and all of that exegete, no one has ever seen God and then suddenly he says there is only one person who is always face to face with God who can always behold the face of God as it is forever and who himself is that same person, Jesus, he has come down and in him what did we see, the face of God, but how did we see, two words are used, fullness of am I confusing, you? are you with me there is no point preaching if you are not understand. look at this grace and truth came through Jesus and then the connection is made, no one has ever seen God however there is one person who is always at God's side, Jesus he has made him so the idea is in Jesus you can see the face of God let's continue there is more to come John 1 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us we have seen his my friends this is the same glory Moses prayed for this is the same glory the disciples saw this is the same glory every believer sees we have seen the reason he came down is to show his glory But how did we see the glory? Glory as of the only son from the father. We have not seen one part of his glory, his wrath. We have only seen the fullness of grace and truth. We have not seen the other side of the glory. Now wait a minute. So far I mentioned one thing, the worth of God. What is the worth of God? Whoever God is, is his worth. And one person said, Lord, show me that worth. God said, I will show you. And suddenly God said, I can't show you completely. I will hide you. So he saw and he also did not see. But in one person, we can see the fullness of God's glory. And who is the person? Jesus Christ. But what is that fullness of God's glory? His grace and truth. Does that mean there is no person in this universe who has ever seen God? There is one person who has seen the face of God. As a man. And that is Jesus Christ. Now please bear with me as I take you through a few more verses. Matthew chapter 27 matthew 27 45 to 57 look at this now from the sixth hour can we read it please there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour this is the same darkness that descended when god came to visit his people at mount sinai okay at about the ninth hour or at least that's what i understand at about the ninth hour jesus cried out and what was his cry my god my god father spirit my god my god why have you now, wait a minute. If you were basically reading that one line out of context, you won't understand. You must go back to the original place it was mentioned, Psalm 22. Before we go to Psalm 22, if you are reading Psalm 22, it's almost like a first-hand witness account of somebody who stood at Calvary. How did that happen? Crucifixion was not even invented by Persians or Medo-Persians. Hundreds before, years before that, he's talking about piercing. David. And nobody pierced David. And Psalm 22 gives us the answer. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My question is, did God turn his face away? I don't think so. I think it's exactly the opposite. Look at this, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and all of that? Go to the, go to the verse that I gave you, brother. just uh, um, uh, I'm very sorry. Thank you, Pastor. 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Can we read this please? And he has not hidden his face from him. I am understanding that on the day Jesus died on the cross, that that was hidden to Moses, that that was concealed from being revealed to the disciples and all the church was completely blasted on one person, Jesus Christ. Ah, ah, therefore all the great preachers when they died, they said only one thing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. On the cross, the wrathful, holy, just face of God was revealed in His full blast on that one man, Jesus Christ. And that is why on the throne is not just the Father, the Son. Ah, we worship him. Worthy are you. Worthy are you. What is my salvation? Your worth. Worthy are you. What is my faithfulness? It is about you. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you. There's one place where the fullness of God's face in all, in all his holiness was revealed. Not just his holy grace, but his holy wrath that was the face of Jesus Christ. As he hung there, carrying the sin of all of us, hung there. Remember? Remember? Adam was hidden. When Adam sinned, who went looking after him? God. Who was hiding? So the problem with the invisibility of God is not his invisibility. It is our lack of inability to see him. We are dead. You take a blind man to the world's most beautiful country, Switzerland, he can't see. Don't blame him. Don't blame the country. He's dead. He's blind. He can't see. But God comes after him. Now, what happens when God comes after him? You will not see the wrath of God in Genesis 3 until you see what God covered them with. As God took an innocent animal and slaughtered the animal, as one man said, and as the beating heart of the dying animal lay there in the pool of blood, Adam saw the grace of God, but the lamb saw the wrath of God. Covered. Covered. What a display. That is why cross shall be the center of both history, eternity. We will be singing... Where the display of God's wrath, the panorama of the display of God's wrath projects from that one place where his son received the wrath of God. Our God. Our Lord. Therefore we will pledge allegiance to him. Not because we will go to heaven. He has given us more than heaven. He has given us his blood. Worthy are you. Worthy are you. This is why the Bible says, right? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, what does the Bible say? For our sake, God made Jesus sin. Who knew no sin. And on that day, and that time, the full blast of God's holy wrath was seen by Christ, as the grace and truth was seen from the other side of the same cross by us. That is why He is worthy. That is why it is fitting for us to sing unto Him. That is why it is fitting for us to prostrate ourselves before Him, to remove our crowns throughout, and in ecstasy cry out, Worthy are you, O Lord. What is God's worth? Who God is, is God's worth. Where is it revealed? In the face of his son, when, on the day he died, how, when he saw the wrath and he gave us the infinite love, joy, compassion, goodness and grace of God forever and ever. That's why he's worthy to receive power, honor and glory. Now listen to this. Salvation is the tip of the iceberg. Go to my favorite verse, Ephesians chapter 1, 4 to 7. Please read this with me too. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, what did he do? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together by Christ. Salvation so far. Rich in mercy, he saw the wrath, we see the mercy. He saw the judgment, we see the grace. Right? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Who doesn't accept that? By grace look at verse 6, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can we read verse 7 please? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, salvation is the tip of the iceberg. There is a bigger part, there is an eternal part that awaits us in eternity, where God on the other side of eternity will spread a banquet of eternal, infinite, unconsumable, inexhaustible Riches of His infinite worth. What is your prayer request today? What do you want? Everything you're asking is lesser than what He wants to give. That's why the grand theme of prayer is not give us this day our daily bread. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What is the worth of God? Who God is, is His worth. Where is it seen? In the gospel. When is it seen? On the cross. His son saw the wrath. We see God's grace. That is why we call out worthy. I thank you for what you have shown me. I praise you for what you have not shown me. Let's look at the next one. The worth of God. But they also praise. Is it possible to go back to Revelation 4, 11 once again? They are saying, worthy, worth, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you have, or for you created... All things, all things. Why are they going back to the beginning of creation? Come on, you're in heaven. It's the entry point for the everlasting now. Why are they going back? Listen, the worth of God is seen in the work of God. What God has created. How do we know? Let me take you through again a slew of verses to help you understand this. What What is the meaning of this? You created all things. Basically everything is created by you. Do we not know it? Oh yes we know it. But do we not? Do we do not know in the intensity and in the uh, uh, comprehensiveness of which God wants us to know. Who of us sitting here will say God, Jesus did not create all things, some other idol created. None of us will say. But we do not know with the comprehensiveness with which He wants us to know. What is the comprehensiveness? Number one. Genesis one says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now wait a minute. Ex in helio, right? Out of nothing. Right? That's why they're scratching their heads. They're breaking their heads. They want to come up with every kind of scientific reason. I find atheism to be one of the most silliest things. Really. Give me an idol. Please. It's difficult, boss, to handle It's Self-defeating. And you have to go all around the universe to know what you're doing is not right. And what is happening? Listen. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created all things. There was a guy called Herbert Spencer many years ago, a, a researcher, a, a, a person who also won a lot of accolades for a lot of things that he did. is also a naturalist. He said there are five things that are knowable about the universe, five things you can know about the universe after studying. And that created a big revolution in the scientific you know, world. Five things. Number one, he said, there are when you study the universe, you can know five things. Number one, you can know that there's a reality called time. Number two, there is a reality called force. Number three, there is a reality called motion. Number four, there is a reality called space. Five, matter. And the world went berserk as this revelation came out of this scientist's mind. This is where the Bible begins, right? In the beginning, time, God, force, created, motion, heavens, space, earth, matter. Where you have spent billions of dollars and endless time dancing your way to hell, God has in the beginning, God. God. Look at one more verse. Romans four seventeen. Look at this. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, talking about Abraham. Let's go back to this attribute of God. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls things that do not. This is why, this is why a human mind can never understand. There was nothing... God brought everything. There was no raw material. God brought everything. You say, how? God says, it's me. You don't want to believe. Then the only option is hell. <laughs> Listen to this. I'm, I'm just quoting from Robert Jastrow's book, God and the Astronomers. Listen to this. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. Why? He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> you know the joke? You know the joke of a man who didn't believe in God and ended up before God? And he still rebellious there and says, I still know how to make man. So God just show me. So he immediately bends down To gather a scoop of dust. God says wait a minute. Get your own dust. (laughs) Where is the raw material? Where is the raw material to create water and air. And all the contingents that are there available in the universe. Where is it? It's not there. Because it has never been there. Because it is called by a God who calls things into existence that never existed. Listen. It is the work of God. But the question is not... Genesis 1 tells us what God created. Let's go to John 1, 1 to 3 to know who created. Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Look at verse 3. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now why was that put there? All things were made through Him sufficient. Why is it that God says and without Him was not made anything made? It is a big blow on Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they say Jesus was the first created being who created everything else. No, I'm sorry, you're eternally wrong. Because the Bible says there is nothing that is created without him. Genesis 1 says what was created. Genesis, John 1-3 says who created God, the Father, the Son and the Spirit. Now look at Hebrews 1-3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Can we read that part please? Listen, you will only die in the way God has ordained. Don't worry. Don't worry, this is held by the power, not by the power of his word. Jump with joy, for you will very soon die. For that shall be the entrance point for your eternity. That's what Jesus told about Peter to John, right? When you were young, you went wherever you wanted John 21. But when you are old, somebody will come, dress you up, take you to a place where you don't want to go. And then what Jesus what does John put there as a a, a, a a summary? this is to show how Peter will ah that is a way to glorify God. we are held this universe is held Satan every a, everything that is that is that will be that will forever be is held by the word, the power of his word so Genesis tells us what is created John and Hebrews tells us. Who created? Now let's go to Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which is also the purpose, part of the purpose statement of our church, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created. In Him and on earth, visible and invisible were the thrones, for by Him all things were created, visible or invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or all of this. All things were created through Him. Can we read the next part please? Through Him and? And? For Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be the preeminent one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Now listen to this carefully. What is the work of God? Everything. Out of nothing he created everything. Who created it? God. Through his son. By his spirit. Why did he create it? Listen to this. Why did he create? So that his son might be the preeminent one. Listen, is it an exaggeration to say that every single speck of dust that is available in this universe has been created, designed and ordained by God to be in its place and accomplish His purpose for one single reason and that is Christ may be the preeminent one. Is it an exaggeration? I think it is an understatement. I'm not joking. To the world, this is foolishness. Because a carnal man cannot receive the things of God. But to those who are being saved, it is that that provokes joy and and, and brings sporadic and perpetual ecstasy. I just learned those words. (laughs) God, God, is it an exaggeration? No. What is the worth of God? Who he is. In order to show who he is, he has created everything that he has created. That is the work of God. Third thing, now let us plunge into the heart of God, the will of God. Let's go to that verse. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And let's read this part, please. And you and uh, Revelation 4, 11, last part. And by your will, they existed and were created. Now, KJV says by your, accord, by your pleasure. So we can say God's will is God's pleasure. So we looked at the worth of God revealed in his son on the day he died completely. We looked at the work of God. Everything has been created. Everything has been created and designed and ordained and is moving in one direction so that the Christ, the son of God may have preeminence. But why did God do all this? The worth of God talks about who God is. The work of God talks about what he does. The will of God talks about why he does whatever he does. What makes him do whatever he does? Pleasure. Whose pleasure? His pleasure. Now let's quickly go through these verses. Look at the will of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him. Can we read that part please? Who works all things according to the Now that word all brackets everything. Everything. People who know that... People who know that... Will live... Like they have one step in eternity and one step in time. Because they know everything... Everything is according to the will of God. Even when you feel God's presence is not there... According to the will of God. Really. We are dealing with a person... Who is beyond, beyond our ability to handle. Yet, yet, he enshrouds himself to live in us and say, come and join me. Everything has been done according to his will. Now let me just say three words about God's will. Number one, it is uninfluenced. Nobody can influence God. Number two, it is independent. He does everything according to his own will. Thirdly, it is intentional. Intentional. This is important. It is intentional. Nothing is a surprise from God's Pandora box. Everything is intentional. Absolutely intentional. God does everything from his independent, uninfluenced, intentional will. He works everything according to his purpose. Now I want to put before you quickly six things. Quickly to wrap up, we looked at the worth of God. We looked at the work of God. We are now looking at the will of God. Six sweeping realities from God's kingdom to help us understand how his will works. Six realities. Number one, creation. What does Bible say? He created all things according to his... If you take this verse, what does the Bible say? Why did he create everything? Anybody influenced him? Anybody uh, intended that he should? Did anybody push him? No. By his own will, out of his own will he created everything. Out of nothing he did everything. Number two. From here there are verses I want you to pay attention. Creation. Number two. History. What is history basically? Look at this. Isaiah chapter 37 verse 21 to 29. Now what is happening here? Pastors have been preaching from the lives of kings. Right? This is about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was faced by this sarcastic over exaggerated self confident king called Sennacherib. Okay, he comes, he says all kinds of things against Hezekiah, against the God of Hezekiah. See what is happening here. So Hezekiah prays and then Isaiah, to Isaiah God gives the word. Let's read this carefully. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib. So basically God is sending a word against Sennacherib through Isaiah to Hezekiah. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed against? Whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? By your servants you have reproached the Lord. You remember he sends his servants? They use all kinds of words. Some words you can't even probably talk from the pulpit. They say you will eat your own excrement, drink your own, those kind of sarcastic, debasing words. And God says, whom have you challenged? See this. See, the, the surprise is still coming. By your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the, li- to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. This is all that, that, that man said, okay? The king of Sennacherib, I will enter its farthest height to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago? Huh? I made it. From ancient times that I... Now I have brought it into pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants have little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb. Listen. I hope you understood. If you didn't understand, I must pray for you. You know what the truth is there? All that you think are doing as a king, bowing down to Satan and the idols. Listen. I am the one who planned it. Checkmate. I am the one who planned it. What is history? It is the sovereign, ordained plan of God working out in time, space and reality. Now listen. This is revealed to us because Hezekiah prayed. God was not on obligation to reveal this. Imagine. Imagine. How much more is going on which is not revealed to us? (laughs) Who are kings? Who are prime ministers? Who are presidents? Who is Satan? Who is anybody if the Lord is for us? And here God says did you not know I am the one who ordained it. It's running according to my plan. It's my plan. Nobody can thwart. You are being used. Checkmate. How much more is going on in this universe without the revelation that God has given us? There's so much more. is going on. He is thinking, my ideals are doing. God is saying, I am using everything. I planned it long ago. You're part of my plan. I have drawn this career plan for you. I have made you strong, made them weak. I am the genius here. Bow down before me. Worship me. What is God's will? What is history? It is God's sovereign plan acting out in time, reality and space. Now listen to this. You remember? Pharaoh had a dream. Joseph had the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. Listen, the world will only have dreams. Church has the interpretation. That's why one man said, Christians are the only ones who know how the game ends. Really? Uh, What kind of mad people are these in the Bible? Mad people. In times of persecution, being beaten, thrown down. They are having worship nights. Mad people. They are so high on God's sovereignty. They know that everything is moving according to the plan. The calendar of God never changes. So what is God's will? Creation. Who told him? Nobody. What is history? God's plan. Who told him? Nobody. Let's look at the third reality. Evil. I used to think, why didn't God snub away Satan? The moment he sinned. Why did he allow evil? This is one of the famous university questions. If God is good, read the Bible. Why evil? I want to put before you a few things. Why evil? And the judgment of evil? And the postponement of the judgment of evil? Why? (laughs) children are being gang raped where is this God poor are getting poorer they are being snubbed out where is this God as voices go to the top and they scream and they raise their fist against God saying there is no God see what God says Jude chapter 1 verse 5 to 7 now I want you to remind all those you once fully knew it that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe can we read verse 6 please And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness till the judgment of the great day. Why? It's his will. Listen. I used to wonder why God didn't immediately come in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan was trying to deceive them. That's what a good father should do, right? Right? Why didn't he come? Listen. God was invisible, not absent. The word was given. The word was given. One commandment was given. They moved away. No amount of commandments will help. That's why Dr. Ravi said, said, Dr. Ravi said, loss can't change flaws. They can never. Only God can. That's why unless you begin with the worth of God revealed to us in the gospel through the death of his son, you can never understand the work of God for which everything has been created. Because the will of God is never revealed. You may scream at the top of your voice and deny the existence of God and heaven and hell and all realities. But the timeline and the will and the purpose of God has been revealed. And he shall not give any more. So why why did evil come into the world? Why is the judgment of evil postponed? For his own will. Next one, we looked at three things. Creation, history, evil. Fourth one, crucifixion. Look at this, Acts chapter 2 verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So who planned crucifixion? God planned. Exactly the day and the hour and the time is planned by God. Everything is planned by God. But who did it? Who performed it? You crucified the hands of lawless men. Wow. Creation. History. Evil and the judgment of evil. Crucifixion. The will of God. Independent, uninfluenced, intentional will of God. Look at the next one. Salvation. Look at Revelation 13.8. Did I give you that verse? All who dwell on the earth will worship him. This is basically the beast. Whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the... We know this. Listen to this. Before creation... There was salvation planned by God. There was planned by God. That's why Max Ricciardo put it. Salvation, Calvary was not an afterthought of God. Even before the sound of the crunching of the fruit was heard in the Garden of Eden, Jesus was already on his way to Calvary. The lamb was slain first and then the foundations of the world were put. Who did it? The will of God. Unfortunately, we reduced God's will to three things. Marriage, Ministry, jobs. It's bigger than that. Creation has come out of His will. History runs by His will. Evil and the justice to, e- for judgment on evil will be done according to His will. Crucifixion was the greatest crime committed by humanity as a whole, but it was the will of God. Let's look at the next one. Salvation. Salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Can we read verse 4, please, together? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Let me just beg you, irrespective of what our understanding of the doctrine of election is, we cannot bypass the first cause, God. We cannot. Whichever side of the table you fall on, you must know one thing. There was nobody that time. To choose God's will. Listen to this. Nobody in heaven will probably say I chose to be here. Whatever's the understanding of our election we have. That's why we bow down and say thank you. Thank you for choosing me. I don't deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve your wrath. I deserve. I can't even say why did you create me? I will be defeated in the court of justice when arguments have to be done between you and me. I will be defeated. Thank you. I deserve wrath. He deserves praise. He took wrath. He gave me grace. Your will, O God, is praiseworthy. Is praiseworthy. He chose us. Nobody was there to be part of God's counsel. He chose. He chose. Let's look at the next thing. Some people say, what about those who go to hell? Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 to 37. Please bear with me, we're coming to the end. Daniel 4, 34 to 37. Oh, I don't have to say that in this church. You're used to listening, right? Yeah. Daniel 4, 34 to 37. You remember Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes through a salvation experience, right? At least in the scripture, we can see that he was a man who was wicked and then he goes through an experience of salvation. Daniel 4, 34 to 37. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. That's the place to lift up to. He lifted everywhere else. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever and ever. What does he say? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Look at verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are as counted as nothing. And he does according to his will. I like the NIV version. You know what it says? He does whatever he pleases with the powers in heaven and peoples on earth. Whatever he wills. And in whatever he wills, he is holy, righteous, just. Loving, kind, merciful, compassionate, eternally, forever. And now see the interesting thing. Verse 36. At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. I want you to read verse 37 with me, please. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is Now we have a notion. That God does right things. Whatever God does is right. That is why you look at hell, you look at heaven, you look at God and say, worthy are you, for by your will, all things are created and exist. God will is absolutely right. So what are the four sweeping realities we saw so far? Creation. Nobody influenced him. Independent intentional will. History. It's his plan working out every day. Third thing. Evil. Postponement of judgment according to his own will. Crucifixion. The greatest crime designed by God, executed by man. Salvation. We didn't. He chose. He had to choose. Otherwise we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have even existed. From non-existence, he brought us to existence. From existence, he gives us the absolute joy of enjoying his essence forever and ever. Salvation. Sixth one, sixth one. The last one. The church. Why church? Ephesians 3, 8 to 11. To me, yeah, to me, Paul says, I am less than the least of all the saints. His grace was given that I should repreach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. Something has been hidden in God. A mystery that nobody ever knew who created all things through Christ. To the intent that now, this is the mystery, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To whom? To the principalities. Powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Third, last reality. Why did he plan? Why did he plan church? For through this he wants his work, his work, his will to be displayed as praises and worship as the entire creation that is there now and will be there forever will exist to behold the wonders and the majesty and the splendor of who God is who told him nobody who intended him to do nobody independent uninfluenced intentional will you are a bigger you are a part of a bigger game We looked at three things. The worth of God. Who he is. The work of God. What he does. The will of God. Why he does. Whatever he does. But still there is one that remains unanswered. But why all this? Was he not forever happy as he was? Why all this? One last verse. John 17 24. Did you listen to any time the radio program of our Prime Minister? Monkey Bath? Did you? Anybody? This is the monkey bath of Jesus. This was the prayer recorded, the longest prayer recorded of the Lord. And somebody said this is the Holy of Holies, John 17, as he prays that high priestly prayer. And what does he say? He reveals, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Can we read that part please? To see my glory. That they may see my glory. That you have given me. Because you loved me. Before the foundation of the world. On this side of eternity. It is more than sufficient for us to know. That in this massive. In this everlasting. In this great infinite riches. Of the worth of God. The church has been chosen. To come. Close enough. To really plunder the infinite riches of the worth of God. What has God not given you? He has given himself to you and to me. What is it that you and I are crying out for? We should constantly, constantly look to him and say, You are worthy, O Lord. For you have created all things. And by your will, they were created And they exist. John 17, 24. What is he saying? That they may be with me because I want them to see the glory that we had. Uh, You have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. It is an invitation to the celebration and the exploration of the absolute, absolute worth of God. What a divine conspiracy. What a divine conspiracy. He's inviting you. Come, come, come. Shall we close our eyes? As I call Pastor here, shall we close our eyes? You
1: can open for a second. <laughs> I thought he was going to pray. It's awesome. I'm just excited. I'm excited as a father. You know, when I see young people preach with fire, it really, really excites me. That's all I look. That the baton is passed on to another generation. It's an incredible, incredible thing to see young people on fire for God. Young people, f- on fire for God. Awesome. I'm really, really, really happy inside. Yeah. So you got the focus of your salvation? It's God. It's God. So let me sum it up. We had an incredible, powerful revelation of God. So what's our response? Because the Bible, the gospel is not an intellectual exercise. It's a living exercise. What should be our response? In one verse, Hebrews 12, verse 14, one verse. That's our response. Revelation twelve fourteen. Pursue. Pursue. Peace with all people and holiness, without which which, no one will see God. So if you see salvation in terms of, oh, God will protect me from all my troubles, or when I die, I will go to heaven, you're missing it. It's intimately connected with the person of God. And why pursue peace with all people? Because on earth, your and my destruction is people. Really? We are not able to focus on God because people distract us. And everybody who is struggling is struggling in relationships. Right? And that very struggle distracts us from our primary purpose that is to see God. So God says, be very selfish in this. doesn't matter the cost, you pursue peace. Focus on God. The devil will use people... To distract us from our primary purpose, this is the end of salvation. See God. But seeing is not talking about eyes, it's talking about perception. So how even the saved will perceive God will differ, depending upon how they pursued holiness. When I read scripture, why I feel so good about this God is because he does not say attain peace with all people and attain a godliness. It's an impossibility. He says pursue. He says pursue. He says
0: find the kingdom of God
1: and his righteousness and all this. Does he say that? He says seek. And all. So if these things are not happening, we are not even pursuing. Not even pursuing. God is not talking about attaining. That's in His hands. He's saying pursue. Pursue. Pursue peace with all men and pursue holiness without which. And that, the respond to this in real life is worship. And I always see the worship leader here, and I see the congregation struggling to worship. And worship should be the natural response of anybody who is perceiving holiness and peace. You know, the first place in the Bible where worship is used is when Abraham goes up the mountain with Isaac. I always thought no Abraham once he has reached that point with God when God says no take your son he how do you think he must have gone i don't know i'm just guessing trying to put myself in that old man's shoes when he has reached that position we may presume he's thinking oh my gosh do i have to kill my son if he's focused sideways but if he's focused upwards I had two sons, and he only asked for one. What's wrong with my worship? I had hundred, he only asked for fifty. Chew on that. Chew on that. He had two sons. Two sons. God discounted the first one completely and said, I only want this one. Okay. Unless we have given our everything, they haven't worshipped. They haven't. It's anyway His. Anyway. So, in light of everything we heard about God today, which always astounds me, is that still to us puny creatures, he gives us the freedom to choose. Don't you find it very ironic? I can still choose. Animals don't choose. Devil doesn't choose. He can't choose to turn back to God. He can't. Did you see the incredible power of free will? That I can choose God. Can choose God. I think the closest to God is man. Who has that will to choose. Brother Cyril was talking about the will of God, right? The will of man. You and I have that will to choose. Pursue peace. And holiness with God, with its one single-minded intention, I want to see you. God, I don't want to lose an eternity. I want to see you as much as this is possible. That I leave it to you, but what is within my hands. That's why I said worship is a response to who God is, not our situations or what we are going through. This entire sermon practically was centered on Revelation four, the book of Revelation. Do you know the entire book of Revelation is a response to an old man's worship? Do you know that? An old man in his old age exiled to a rocky island called Patmos and okay, the first verses are all about this is a revelation from Christ, all that. But he says, I, John, was in the island Patmos on the day Of the Lord, in the Spirit. And I heard the entire book of Revelation is because one man, in his free will, chose to worship. You worship, God will reveal himself. The more he reveals himself, our response is, more worship, not less worship. The purpose of creation is to worship. So this eve- morning, when uh, Cyril began, he said, "This evening." because he used to preaching in evening services? Okay, but this morning, five minutes before afternoon begins, shall we stand? And we just we just thank God, right? We thank God. God is God, and not the devil is God. Thank God. God is God, right? Look at Him, and thank God. God is God, and we. Choose the seventh month starting today. Of course, tomorrow, seventh month begins. We choose every day to put him at the center. When we fall, you know, sinners fall because they are sinners. The righteous fall. They fall from God. Okay. They only fall from God. So when we rise We rise back to God. It's different. I'm telling you from experience of all these years, you will never rise and overcome things in your life if it is not centered in the person of God. That's why I said, make it practical and tell a 100 times each day, I love you. I love you. I really love you. It enables you to rise up to God. Though you think you rise, it's his hand that is still lifting you up. Okay. Like Brother Cyril said, he's already willed it all out. We are very secure in that will. Think about the will of God. And those who are saved are safe in that will. See, in the end, from the beginning. So go home today comforted and confident. God in his divine will chose me before the foundation of this world was laid. Isn't it awesome? Nothing to worry. It's taken care of. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. How awesome are you, Lord. How awesome, Father. We hear different voices speaking your word, older voices, young voices, younger voices. But to know it's the same God we all encountered, the comfort of it, that you are not a respecter of persons. You are not a respecter of age, that to those who pursue you, you will show yourself. And I pray every young person, old person here, will be encouraged today because they had a revelation of who you are through the lips of a very young person. That would encourage them to pursue you, Lord. All of us. For you said in your word, for that is eternal life, that we might know you. And your Christ. Come in the church into thy hands. Oh Lord. Everyone. For those who still do not know you. I pray Lord. One more day will not pass. Today. They will go on their knees. And they will ask you Lord. Come. I heard an incredible revelation today. In your house today Lord. But you showed your grace to us and your wrath on Jesus. Reveal yourself, Lord. Your grace that saves. Let no one, no one perish, Lord. No one father perish. Those who know you, there'll be a quickening in their spirit. Pursuing peace. It's all men. In a very godly, selfish way. Because they want to see you. They don't want any distractions in life. The single hearted pursuit of holiness, not for holiness sake, but to see your face. Go with us, Lord. The seventh month. Go before us, Lord. Protect your church. Cover your church. Empower your church. Quicken your church. Because the church itself, oh God, is the mystery of God. Keep us close to you. We have this terrible habit of slipping away from you. So we surrender ourselves, Lord. Keep us close to you. Hold us firmly by hand, Lord. Firmly. Let this hand, fragile, slippery hand, slip away from your hand, Lord. Hold us tightly, Father. As a father who holds the little hand of his little child in a crowd, hold us tightly. Because tomorrow another day begins in the world. Help us not to slip away from you. Thank you, Father. Now by faith, believing, we've been sanctified by your precious, matchless word. We lift up holy hands. And we bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And with these fragile lips, we proclaim, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide Each one of us. Amen?